I hope you have your Bible with you. I want to invite you to turn to Joel chapter 2. We'll be looking today at verses 18 through 27. It's been uh, quite a while since we've uh, looked at Joel. So hopefully uh, you remember something about where we're at. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. This is God's inspired, holy, inerrant word. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion. And rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, And the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. That I am the Lord your God. And there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to our hearts. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, even what we see here of restoration and renewal. And we're very grateful that the Lord Jesus has renewed us. Father, bless us as we now hear the preaching of your word. We ask that the words of my lips would be your words. And that what enters into our ears and into our hearts is that which you desire. That your will would be done. And that we would stand in awe of the glories that is found in Jesus Christ that we can stand in awe of your mighty deeds, who you are, your character. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that uh, I, and in our family, really enjoys doing is traveling. We enjoy going to new places and seeing new things. Maybe some of you are that way too. I enjoy traveling, and though it is fun to go and and see uh, new places, there is nothing better, there's nothing that feels better than coming home. My favorite, in fact, my favorite part of a trip is coming home. There's a sense in which the desire of every human heart is to return home, to be in our own place, to be in our own beds with our own families, to return home. We'd love to return home. And as we go through life, uh, we realize that there is an even deeper yearning. The, the, the heart of every human being yearns for a different home. This is particularly true for the Christian, who yearns for something beyond here, a better country. You see, we know that we live in a world where there is something wrong. For the believer, we understand what's wrong with the world. The unbeliever sees this too, though they don't understand it. But we see that the world around us is broken. And as Christians, we know that what is broken about the world is sin. Sin has tainted every bit of our creation and marred even our souls. And so we recognize that we live in a fallen world. And yet our hearts yearn for a perfect world, a world in which our Creator had made. We long for a return to the garden, if you will. Because we know that this present fallen world is not our home, and yet it is our home. We know that, the, that corruption exists in this world, should not be a part of it, and yet it does, and it is. We need someone to save us, to fix what is wrong with this ruined world. We long for home. Well, what we're looking at today as we continue our study of Joel is a promise of hope and restoration. A promise of returning home. A home which is renewed. A home where everything is made right once again. Now, up to this point in Joel, Joel has been writing about a a disaster uh, which uh, was to fall onto the people of Israel. Now, first, um, there was uh, locusts which had already come and had had decimated the land. And so, uh, all of the crops and uh, everything was destroyed in the land. Second, there was a great army which was to come out of the north and was to defeat them and to subjugate them. This is all related to and is a picture of the end of all things, the great day of the Lord. The day of the Lord being a, a theme throughout the book of Joel. Now, Joel has been writing into a historic context where the people would have known the promises of the Scriptures. They would have remembered that God had declared to them that they would be punished for disobedience to His law. 
And in fact, the people had fallen into sin and had been wicked in, in their idolatry and chasing after other gods. Here's what God said was going to happen uh, from Deuteronomy ch- chapter 28. In verse 38, it says, You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. Verse 41, you shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. In verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. Verse 52, they shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all the land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given to you. You see, in Deuteronomy, God told the people that you're to be faithful to me. But if you're not, if you go after other gods, this is what's going to happen. Your land is going to be destroyed. Nations are going to come against you. Your children are going to be sent into captivity. God had warned the people not to be disobedient to his covenant, for he would bring judgment. And this is exactly what has happened here in Joel. Now, way back in November, it's been a few months, we, we, uh, and this is, I think this is the last time we looked at Joel. So it's been a number of months. We saw Joel uh, had given a call to repentance in in chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Joel says this, Return to the Lord your God. And why were the people to do this? Because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. And then we saw that the people were called to gather and to to worship and and to repent before the Lord. And the hope is that perhaps the Lord will relent from this disaster which was coming. And so this is now where we pick things up in verse 18. And, And what is going to happen? The Lord will finally and completely vindicate his people. All those who call upon him will be saved. But this promise would not be fully realized in Joel's day. In fact, the physical and temporal aspects are yet to happen fully. What is being alluded to is a spiritual reality, which is salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is not only a day of judgment, but is also a day of hope. And that day begins with the regeneration of souls and the renewal of hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And so as we begin, I want you first of all to note that verses 18 and 19 are in some sense transitional verses. Uh, The text in Joel moves from crisis to lamentation to salvation and vindication. The people had endured the locust invasion, which was recorded in chapter 1. They had heard the oracle of judgment against them as a mighty nation will come and will overrun them. 
And these judgment oracles pointed forward to the day of the Lord, which was yet to come. So God's prophet had called them to repentance, to mourning and weeping. They had been called to worship before the Lord. And now we see the response from the Lord. The Lord is going to bless them and promises a future restoration. Listen. The Lord became jealous for his land, it says, and had pity on his people. Now, now what does this mean? It means that God is zealous for his people, for his nation, those who belong to him. These are his people. These are the people that he identifies with. He is the one who protects them. He is the one who upholds his covenant with them. You see, Israel is to God what a bride is to her husband. He is her protector from other nations. He has compassion for her. He loves her and he will do anything for her. He is jealous for her that she would not seek other lovers, but be faithful only to him. God is, in a sense, like a husband to his bride. He has a covenant with her and is faithful to her. And so here in this verse, we see the two grounds for God's work of salvation represented his covenantal faithfulness and his merciful and compassionate nature. The Lord has shown pity on his people as he renews his zealous and covenantal protection of them as a husband to his beloved bride. And so the Lord declares that he will undo the curses of this agricultural disaster, these these locusts which have come and decimated the land. Verse 19. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. You see, he's restoring to them three things, grain and and wine and oil. And and the people, they they will be satisfied with these these gifts. These three agricultural standards are are a representative of a complete restoration of of the land. The people of God will again enjoy plenty. They will no longer be hungry as they once were when under the curse. The land will be completely healed from this disaster which had befallen it. This again reminds us of the fact that in the big picture, we live in a world that has fallen into disaster. We live in a world that has fallen into the disaster and has been cursed with sin, our fallen nature. Just as God has healed the land of Israel after this locust, so too will God heal the world when Christ returns and ushers in the fullness of his kingdom promises. In addition, the Lord says that he will rescue his people from shame of being subjugated and oppressed by their enemies. 
Now this promise probably looks forward to the restoration of the people after the exile, but also pictures for us a spiritual renewal and, and finally the renewal of all things and the new heavens and new earth. But here's the point. The Lord, out of His great compassion, out of His great mercy, consistent with His covenantal promises, will once again bless His people. A people who are His possession and that He jealously protects. We see this illustrated further in how He deals with those who have attacked His people. Look at verse 20. I will remove the northerner from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. The promise of restoration also involves the defeat of all of the nation's enemies. The northerner are those invaders which have been such a threat to Judah and Jerusalem. You see, armies, because of the desert to the south and to the east, and because of the sea to the west, always invaded Israel from the north. Every invasion came from the north. And God will drive them into the desert. He will drive them into the sea. They will be driven into the parched wastelands. They will be driven from east to west. And these invaders will be a stench, a foul smell to everyone. Which is to say, he's not just, he's not just being graphic, right? What he's saying is this is going to be a complete defeat of the enemies of Israel and of God. It will be so complete, in fact, there won't be anybody left to bury their dead. And so an army which had been used to bring judgment against God's people, against Israel, will itself be judged by God. And God will restore his people from the defeat that they had experienced at the hands of their enemies. Now notice too, there are eschatological hints here. Of course, we're in Joel. There's lots of eschatological hints when sin had come, in, had come into the world, the Lord cursed the world. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 3. And our enemies, sin and the devil, have been subjugated and defeated, or they have subjugated and defeated our fathers for millennia. We, the, God's people have been harassed by sin, by the devil, by wickedness. Our own hearts don't have to go very far. But just as the Lord destroyed the enemies of Israel and freed them from bondage to them, He freed His people out of bondage in Babylon, He has also freed us, His people, those who trust and rest in Christ from bondage to sin. You are no longer slaves to sin. You've been set free 
in Christ. Christ, at the cross, destroyed sin and death so that you are no longer in bondage. And the enemy has been defeated. The accuser has been defeated. And God's people have been vindicated in Jesus Christ. And that victory is complete. Hebrews 10 reminds us, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. That's what happens to the enemies of Jesus Christ, who is your enemy as well. They become footstools before the throne of God. Christ restores and is restoring His people. He is bringing them home. For they are His bride. And He will one day restore the whole of creation as His enemies are made a footstool under His feet. And what we understand more clearly in the New Testament plays out in shadows and types in Joel. And so the cry goes out, verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad, rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. And so after having declared judgment on the nations, the Lord turns His attention back to the land and to His people. And Joel exhorts them, Fear not! Rejoice! Be glad! The people can rejoice because Yahweh has done something great. The land can rejoice because it's been restored. And how? The beasts of the field, the pastures of the wilderness will once again be green. The trees which which had been bare will now have fruit. The fig tree, vines will come in full yield. And all of these things which previously in chapter 1 were said to suffer from the drought and locusts, they're now told no longer be afraid. There is renewal promised. There is restoration. It's like springtime has come after a long and harsh and gloomy winter. All things are made new again. All of nature is to spring forth abundantly for the benefit of animals and humans. Verse 23. Be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down abundant rain, early and latter rain as well. Just as a land need no longer fear, the, the children of Zion can rejoice. The curse of the drought has been reversed with abundant rains. Both the early rain, the later rain, which if you know anything about the nation of Israel, they do have these two rainy seasons. It's not like here where it's just like 
always rainy season. <laughs> the drought. The drought has been reversed. But this drought, this drought is not only the literal drought of a lack of rain, but also a drought of faith. That drought has also been reversed. The people of the, of the Lord are now following after the Lord. The Lord is going to pour out an abundance on His people which will come in the form of rains, literal rains, but which is also a promise of one who would be a teacher of righteousness. This is actually an allusion to the Lord Jesus Christ. A prophet would come like Moses, but greater than Moses. Now it's, it's hard to see this in our English translations because it's, this is actually, the, the Hebrew here is very difficult uh, but there is actually a play on words happening in Joel here. Joel is alluding to a teacher of salvation who will reign in abundance for your vindication. This is the one whom Israel had been waiting for. This is messianic. This is the Messiah. And this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. The prayer of Solomon at the temple dedication reinforces this double meaning. In 1 Kings 8, verses 35 and 36, Solomon, as he's praying, says this, When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins when you afflict them, Then here in heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon the land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And Solomon, as he's praying, he's he's talking about the rains, but he's also talking about an abundance uh, or a rain of teaching. And specifically, he's talking about Christ. This spiritual famine, this spiritual drought has been overturned by God. It is God who is giving faith to the faithless. And so what was once famine and drought will now be an abundant harvest because of God. What the locusts had destroyed, the Lord will restore. And so the Lord is dealing wondrously with His people. They will no longer be put to shame. Well, what is the purpose behind all this? Why why is the Lord doing this? What is the Lord teaching His people? Look at verse 27. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. The Lord's deliverance of His people from the shame of defeat at the hands of other nations, at the hands of their enemies, will cause them to finally realize that they have been depriving themselves of the presence of God. Because of their their disobedience. 
God's vindication of them will help the people of Zion to know with certainty that they really are God's people. They belong to Him. He is the one who has rescued them. He is the one who has restored them. He is the loving husband. Not like these other gods that they had gone after. They will understand that people will finally understand that the Lord is God and there is no other. The mention of there being no other God reinforces the monotheism that the scriptures teach. I am I. I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior, Isaiah 43.11 says. In Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God has throughout the scriptures insisted that he and he alone is the Lord God. He is God to his people. It is he who rescues with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You know, there's a, a way in which you could say, you could summarize the message of the scriptures this way, I am your God and you will be my people. The Lord is God because he is. He created all that there is. He sustains all that there is. And we are made his people by the blood of of the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation which He has accomplished and the Holy Spirit applies to us by faith God's message to His people as delivered by His prophet Joel is to remind us that He is God and there is no other. He is on the throne. He is ruling. He is jealous for His people. He will save His people even from themselves. Even from himself and his wrath. This is the message of restoration and hope. God chastises his people, his children. Jesus has taken the penalty for our sin, but he punishes the wicked. So verse 27 summarizes God's purposes and what he's doing. He wants his people to know and remember that he is God. Well, as we conclude, beloved congregation, we know, as as I've already said before, we know that we live in a broken world But I hope you can also see that the scriptures give us hope, great hope. Jesus Christ came to restore sinners to the Father. He came to bring you and me, rebellious children, lost in wickedness and misery, in slavery to sin. He came to rescue you and to bring you back home with him. Jesus came into the world, born of a woman, born in humility to rescue, to defeat all his and our enemies. And he came to reconcile us to God the Father. 
Colossians 1.19 says, For in Him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Jesus came to rescue us, sinners. He came to redeem all things to Himself, to redeem the world. And so just as God restored Israel as a people in their place in Joel, God is redeeming people and giving us a place. You see, this speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. And the point is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can be a people of hope. We are part of a people. We have been given a place. We are heirs of the promise in Christ. And we will dwell with God eternally as the heavens come down. We will come home because home will, in a sense, come to us. I'll end with this. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God. He will be my son. That's going home. Let's pray.